Maybe it's not on yet. Good morning. Ah, all right. By a round of applause, can I hear how you're feeling this morning? By a round of applause, can I hear how much you appreciate this awesome band and worship team? By a round of applause, can I hear how much you are crazy in love with Jesus? Y'all, that went just the way I was hoping it would go. That was awesome. Well, good morning. My name's Daniel Sutton, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Pastor Chris is preaching in Yulee this morning. He does not take very many opportunities at all on a Sunday morning because he loves being here with you guys, but he was asked to kick off a revival there, and he felt strongly led to do that. Yes. So today we're going to continue our journey through the book of Acts. Last week, Pastor Chris took us through much of Acts chapter 2. Raise your hand if you remember that. Awesome. He's going to circle back to it next week, but today we're going to look ahead and dig into Acts chapter 3. If you remember, in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost was a day like no other for the God's people. The Holy Spirit descended and the disciples began to speak in other languages or other tongues. And in answer to the many questions and comments from the crowd, Peter delivers his very first sermon explaining what all was happening. And he calls people to repentance and 3,000 people were saved that day. The New Testament church was born. It's okay to clap. Go ahead. Acts 2, there was an event and then Peter's explanation of that event. An event and then Peter's explanation of the event. Acts 3 consists of an event and then Peter's explanation of that event as well. And by the way, this is God's plan. Like God does something awesome and then we talk about it. That's sharing our faith. Amen. We have an event with Jesus, we have an experience with the Holy Spirit, and then we go tell others about it. We explain what that means. Experience and explain. Event and explain. So the event here today in Acts chapter 3 is a lame man being healed, and the explanation is Peter's second sermon giving, given sort of in the temple's patio area. In the Gospels of Mark and John, Jesus told the disciples that they would do even greater things than he did. This story is proof of that. Now, raise your hand if you remember what Peter did when Jesus was arrested. He lied, right? He said he didn't even know Jesus. And Peter felt really bad about this afterwards. It tore him up inside. Peter was a normal person, just like you and me. Some of us a little more normal than others, some a little less normal than others. Peter made a big mistake. Raise your hand if you've ever made a mistake. Aw. Peter made a big mistake, but then something happened to him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he became one of the most brave preachers of the gospel. The Holy Spirit took Peter from denying Christ to declaring Christ. Brought Peter from a place of saying, I don't know him, to shouting, you need him. That's what the Holy Spirit can do, church. We're in Acts chapter 3. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. And I'm going to read the entire chapter. I hope that's okay. That's what's happening regardless. So we're going to get our word on this morning. Acts chapter 3, and we're beginning in verse 1. It's in the app. 
course, you might take it old school like me, and it's up here as well. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then, walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we made him walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. Then Moses said, anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. You are the children of those prophets, and you are included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. Amen?
If you've been here for a little while, you might remember our series through the book of Philippians, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. I want to look and work through Acts 3 this morning in a similar way, and we'll spend more of our time going through the first half, but we will make our way all the way through it. Would you pray with me one more time? Good morning, Lord. We thank you for the gift of your word, that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto your path, unto our path. Lord, Holy Spirit, illuminate your word today. Let it become so real. Help us to catch things we've never caught before. Give us ears to hear your voice so clearly. Give us hearts to receive from your word and give us hands and feet and minds and mouths to apply the truth of your word to our lives every day that we live. Holy Spirit, let it be easy to teach your word today. Let it be easy to listen. In Jesus' name, the strong son of God. And everybody said, amen, amen. So verse number one, Peter and John went to the temple at 3 p.m. Other versions of scripture say it was the hour of prayer, or you'll find in other places, the ninth hour. This was actually the third specific time that Peter and John and most Jews would have prayed that day. That ninth hour or 3 p.m. was strongly regarded to be the same time that Jesus actually said it is finished while he hung on the cross. Praying at these set times, the 9, the 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 3 p.m., or the 3rd, 6th, and ninth hour, was a Jewish custom that the Jews practiced. Peter and John continued to practice, even though at this point, Jesus had declared that he himself was the temple. But they still liked to go to the temple for the hour of prayer. There was also a separate hour of sacrifice, but that's not what they were going to do. See, they had discovered that the ultimate sacrifice had been fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross. Amen? So what can we pull from this? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 makes it clear we should be praying constantly, continually, or pray without ceasing, right? It's a familiar passage. We can and should be praying always. But there's something special and powerful about having a set time to pray. Or perhaps set times, as was the Jewish custom here. Did you know our lead pastors and a small group of people have been praying every Sunday evening for three months now? And there's no plan to stop. And this has been a powerful time. Yes, we can commune with God anytime. Hallelujah. I'm grateful. But there's something significant and sacrificial about scheduling prayer appointments with the Father. If you've not made that a spiritual discipline, I want to strongly encourage you to consider. Set a reminder or two or three in your phone for specific times that you carve aside to meet with the Father. Verse 2, we see this lame, this crippled man was put at the gate daily. He didn't get himself there. He was carried there and placed there every day for years who put him there? He obviously had some good friends. This reminds me of the story where we find the paralyzed man carried by four friends, and then they tear open a roof and then lower him down on a mat in front of Jesus, right? I want some friends like that. Anybody else want some friends like that? That's the kind of friends that we should be. That's the kind of friends that we all need. We see a beautiful picture of community right here in Acts 3. That's why we are always banging the drum for you to get into community. This lame, crippled man 
He was there for over 40 years. He was born that way. It's not something that happened when he was a teenager or in a camel accident. He was born this way. He had zero muscle strength, none. This existence was all he knew. He never got to play tag. He never got to run the bases. He was entirely robbed of his childhood. His parents never had the pride and joy of seeing their little boy take his first steps as a baby. This man was placed at this gate every day. You know who else went to the temple passing through this, this gate every day? Or almost every day, at least if he was in town? Jesus. Jesus. At this point in our story, Jesus has already come, died, risen back to life, and ascended to heaven. Scholars say it is extremely likely that Jesus passed this man walking through the beautiful gate numerous times. Why didn't Jesus heal him? Why didn't Jesus heal every sick person the moment that he encountered them? Remember the pool of Bethesda? We read about multitudes lying sick around the pool. Only one guy got healed that day. Remember Lazarus? Jesus was close enough to get there before he died. What I do know is this, that a resurrection trumps a healing any day of the week. What I do know is this, healing is a sovereign work of God and God alone. And God is sovereign in his work and in the timing of that work. Amen? I imagine Jesus walking past this man at the beautiful gate, having compassion Maybe even wrestling inside like, man, God, I want to heal this guy. But God said, no, not today. Today's not the day. Actually, you know, yeah, maybe I'll send Peter and John to do that in the future. Maybe when it happens, it'll draw so many to me. It'll provide an opportunity for the gospel to be preached. That day will come. It just wasn't that day. Raise your hand if you want God's sovereign work in your life. Of course we do. Keep it up if you also want God's sovereign timing in your life. Really? I mean, that's sort of like an unsure. Sure, sure, unsure. Are we sure? It's a package deal. God's sovereign work and timing are a package deal. You can't have one without the other. And we've got to trust God in his sovereign work and his sovereign timing. He's a good father. He knows what he's doing. We find that this man was placed at the beautiful gate. Why was it called the beautiful gate? Well, because it cost a lot of paper or a lot of, a lot of shekel back in that day. It was a very costly gate. It was also referred to as the Nicanor Gate. It was 75 feet tall. Just to put that into perspective, this screen right here is 40 feet tall. There's almost two of these as the entrance to the temple. It was made of brass, which was extremely durable and extremely expensive, much more so than many of the wooden gates plated in gold or silver you would find in other places. Those gates were much more vulnerable to attack, and we understand that if you could take the gate, then you could take the city. Now, figuratively, a gate referred to the glory of a city. The gate was where the crowds would form. The gate is where business and bargaining took place. The gate is where important announcements and the law was read out loud. 
the gate was the king's or the chief's place of audience. It's a pretty good place to be if you're begging for money. It's an even better place to be for the power of God to be put on display. And that's what we see happening. In verses 3 and 4, it says, The man saw a couple guys approaching, and he asks them for money. And then the Bible says that Peter and John looked at him intently. It makes sense for the guy to be looking at them intently, right? Eagerly anticipating something from them. But the Bible says Peter and John looked at him intently. That word jumped out at me as I read this week. And honestly, the first thing I thought of when I saw that word intently was a scene from the movie Night at the Museum 2. Have you ever seen that? Battle of the Smithsonian's? Anybody? There's this scene where a security guard taking his job very seriously sees another guy approaching an exhibit, and he's like, whoa, 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 you're moving in with some ITT, bro. ITT? That's intent to touch, homie. It's a hilarious scene. It's a safe and fun family movie, so you can enjoy that. You're welcome. But then... The second thing I thought of was maybe I should see what this word actually means like in the dictionary. So I looked it up, and I found this. Intently means with earnest and eager attention. That's how Peter and John looked at this guy, with earnest and eager attention. If you dig a little further, you can find sincere and intense conviction, wanting to do something. That's how these guys looked at this lame man. Peter and John knew something was up. They were dialed in to the Holy Spirit. I don't know if they knew this was going to happen when they left for the temple that day, but as soon as they saw him, they knew something was going down, and they looked at him intently. Man, I want to see people like Jesus does. I want to see people like the Spirit of God does. I want to live and follow God intently, church, with sincere and eager attention, hypersensitivity, to how the Holy Spirit would lead and quick to take action when he tells me to. Amen? So Peter and John look at him intently, and that causes him to look back at them intently. Next thing we see, this man has expectation, verse 5. Now, he was expecting money, but he was about to get something a whole lot better. He was expecting to just be supported in the condition that he was in, but his entire condition was about to be changed. He expected a handout, but he was about to receive a healing. Greek word for expectation is prosdokal, prosdokal, meaning looking forward to or waiting for. Pastor Rod Parsley has said, quote, expectation is the breeding ground for miracles, or the atmosphere of expectancy is the breeding ground for miracles. Church, what are you expecting? What are you expecting God to do in your life and through your life? If you'd say, not much, well, don't expect much. What are you expecting God to do? We know he's able. This lame man has expectation, but this lame man underestimates his need. Sometimes we do that too, don't we? This man didn't ask for a healing. He didn't have a clear perception of his needs. He didn't know what he needed. Instead, he asks for some money. If I could just have some more money, then that'll solve all my needs, or at least get me by. I'll be fine. Have you ever told yourself that? Maybe it wasn't money. Maybe it was time. If I just had more time, then I could get this to-do list completed. If I just had this relationship, then things would be so much easier. If I just had this or that, things would be better. 
this man became so locked into a way of thinking that he couldn't even imagine what God might do. I don't know that healing ever crossed his mind. He had just gotten so comfortable in his complacency. Just the way it is. He was like, he was like a real-life Eeyore. <laughs> healing was nowhere near his radar. He thought, just another few shekels will be fine. Church, don't become so locked into a way of thinking that you stop imagining what God can do. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed this to us by his spirit. Church, God can do immeasurably more than you can ask or even imagine. Don't get so fixed on what you can see that you stop imagining what God could do. Amen? In verse 6, Peter says to the man, I don't have what you think you want, but I've got what I know you need. Church, I'm so glad Jesus doesn't give me everything I ask for, especially not when I ask for it. Again, his work and his timing are sovereign. Man, he knows so much better. He cares too deeply to give me what I ask for, when, what I think I need. He knows what I need. We see Peter use the name Jesus when telling this man that he's got what he needs. Now, why, why did he use the name of Jesus? Could have just said be healed, right? The word name comes from the Greek word onoma, and it's, it's not just an identifier, although that's part of it. He used Nazareth, or Jesus of the Nazarene, as part of the identification process. Um, that word Nazareth was tossed around as an attempt to insult Jesus when he was walking the streets of Israel. But now Peter would wave it around like a banner of honor. But name, onoma, encompasses the entire essence of a person. In this case, it encompassed Jesus' character, his deity, his sovereignty, his authority, his power, his title, his reputation, and his identity. It had all of that wrapped up in one. Peter has faith in the person of Jesus and faith in the name of Jesus. Peter knows he has the power of the Holy Spirit and authority from Jesus to heal. And because of that, he is supremely confident that Jesus will heal and honor his words. There's quite literally and tangibly power in the name of Jesus. Amen? I think of the movie Lion King, where one of the hyenas says, Mufasa, and then the other hyena goes like, oh. right? You remember that? And then he's like, say it again, say it again, Mufasa, oh. right? That's a really silly example, but I can't tell you how many times in my prayer life I've been stuck, I didn't know what to say, or I was too emotional to say much, and I would just say the name of Jesus, and whoo, I tell you, I tell you, things shift. If you've, never, if you've never just said the name of Jesus 37 times in a, in a prayer time, then give it a try this afternoon. I'm telling you, there's power in the name of Jesus. We'll see even more of that a little later in the story. Verses 7 and 8, though, we see that it's one thing to speak the word, but it's another thing to act upon it. Actions speak louder than words, right? 
I know plenty of people that know the word, they speak the word, but they're not really living the word. Hello? If I'm honest, I've been guilty of that at times. I bet if you were honest, you could say the same thing. Anyone can say, be healed. Anyone can pray for healing. And for the record, I encourage you to do both of those things. But to take a man by the hand who had never walked, never stood, had no muscle strength, and lift him to his feet was an amazing demonstration of faith on Peter's part and this man. First, Peter said, rise up and walk. But then he took that bold step by physically taking the man by the hand. What would have happened if he just crumbled? That would have been extremely embarrassing, physically harmful to this man, spiritually harmful to everybody else watching. But Peter trusted the prompting of the Holy Spirit and had faith in the name of Jesus and the power that it holds. I want you to notice this man was not healed while he was still sitting or lying on the ground. Was he? No, it was in the act of placing his faith in the name of Jesus. And the Bible says as he stood, as he was helped up physically by Peter, that he was instantly strengthened and healed. Now, this book of Acts was written by Dr. Luke, and Dr. Luke used two words here. He said feet and ankles in recording this miracle. This is because he was trying to describe it in medical terms, giving us the picture of both the foot and the ankle and joints snapping into place, muscles and tendons strengthening, stuff being put in its proper position. And that didn't happen until Peter spoke the word, and then, the, and then took the man by the hand. He helped him up. He raised him up. The Greek word for helped up is egiro, meaning to wake or raise. You'll find it in other portions of scripture in reference to raising of the dead. See, church, there was so much more than a physical healing taking place here. There was a spiritual awakening that was also taking place here. The Spirit of God has always used miracles, signs, and wonders to pave the way for the gospel to be presented and for the salvation of souls. Amen? And the Spirit of God still wants to move in all of these ways for this specific reason, that all men would be drawn to him. After this miracle takes place, we then see what our proper response should be if ever in a similar situation where we're touched by God. We should praise God. Praise God. The man walked, leaped, and praised God. I love where the Bible says that they saw him walking and they heard him praising. He immediately started using what God gave him and thanked God for it too. I think too many times we experience the goodness of God and then we just sit on it. He immediately started using what God gave him. I think too often we focus way too much on the gift that we receive and neglect the giver of the gift. But this man praised God. He could have taken off running like Forrest Gump and nobody would have blamed him, but that's not what he did. He praised God. You remember that song, Oh Lord, you're beautiful, your face is all I see. Remember that one? I love that song. I think... I think so often, if we're not careful, we, we live in a way that would say, oh, Lord, you're beautiful, your hand, 
is all I seek? You know, like, what can you do for me? God, and we get so focused on, on what we need and not the giver, the supplier of every need, not the source of our hope and our strength. Let us not neglect the giver of every good and perfect thing that we get. Amen? So this dude jumps up and begins praising God, telling everyone how good God is. He's encountered the life-giving power of God. Church, when God meets your needs... Tell somebody about it. If he keeps providing for you month after month, even with inflation and things being tight, tell somebody about it. Testify. When God gives you peace in the midst of loss, tell somebody about it. When God's there for you in your darkest moment, tell somebody about it. When God physically heals your body, tell somebody about it. That's what this man did. He praised God, and that is the proper response when touched by God, when blessed with anything from God. Next, he went into the temple. The Bible says that he, he like attached himself to the men of God, right? That's not because he wasn't able to walk. He attached himself to the men of God and he entered into uncharted territory. He had never entered into the temple until that day that he was healed. Think about that. He was left at the gate every day. But a touch from God... The Holy Spirit opens doors to you that used to be closed. The Holy Spirit gives you access to things that you didn't have access to before. This lame man enters the temple after he was healed. This shows not just his physical healing, but it shows a new life, one surrendered in response to what God did. It shows a spiritual boldness that ought to accompany the life of one touched by the Spirit of God. In verses 9 through 11, we see that the people were amazed, astounded at what had happened, and they started following Peter, John, and this walking man. The people remembered this guy. They had seen him. He was just as recognizable as the beautiful gate itself. He had been there about as long. And the Greek here for amazed or astounded is ecstasis, where we get ecstatic from. The people were astonished, bewildered, in a trance. I imagine some jaws may have dropped open. I imagine some eyes might have been rubbed. Like, am I really seeing this? And this healing got the attention of so much more than just this man who was healed. Amen? This healing changed so many more people than just this man who was healed. What God does for you is also so he can do something through you. When God does something to you or for you, it's so he can do something through you. Man, Ashley, I should have had that put in the notes. That was a good one. I'll say it again. What God does for you is not just for you. It's so he can do something through you. Amen? Amen. Now, verse 12, this is the beginning of Peter's second sermon. And his introduction is so critical. I love the Bible says, like, Peter recognized his opportunity. Like, huh. God, you just showed your mighty hand. Yes, if you do say so, I will present your gospel. Raise your hand if you remember Shaggy, Jamaican-American artist and musician. Yeah, Shaggy. He had a few hits, right? One of those hits was uh, in the year 2000, and it was titled, It Wasn't Me. I'd call Peter's introduction to his second sermon, The Spiritual it wasn't me. 
Peter gives God alone the glory. He says, y'all are staring at me like I did something special, like I've got this power, but yo, it wasn't me. (laughs) We ought to be quick to deflect the glory and the credit to where it belongs. Amen? To whom it belongs. In Romans 13, the Bible talks about giving everyone what you owe them, whether that's money or respect or honor. Let us be quick to honor the Lord whenever in his grace and sovereignty, chooses to use us. After all, he's using us for his glory and for his good news to be shared and lead people to repentance. Peter takes no credit for the miracle and directs all glory to God and God alone. Verse 13 through 15, Peter continues and makes it clear who did heal this man. It wasn't him. It wasn't John. Who did? It was God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that phrase right there would have strongly struck a chord with this particular audience. He continued, God glorified his son Jesus, his servant Jesus, in doing it. And he points out, oh, by the way, it's that same Jesus that all you Jews and Gentiles alike crucified. Even though Pilate was going to give him a pass, you insisted that a murderer be released instead. But, God raised Jesus back to life. And Peter and John were a couple of the witnesses of this. Peter continues that it's in the name of Jesus, specifically faith in the name of Jesus, and nothing else but faith in the name of Jesus that made this healing take place. Remember, name, Onoma, does not just identify a person. It expresses the very nature of his being. In other words, the power of the person is present and available in the name of the person. The power of Jesus is present and available in the name of Jesus. Come on, say the name of Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. We have faith in you, Jesus, and in your powerful name. Next, we see Peter Cuts the audience a little bit of slack here. He, he shows them some grace. He says, y'all missed it. Y'all were ignorant, you and your leaders. You didn't know any better. But that wasn't an excuse, not for them and not for us. He also said, you know, regardless, God was going to fulfill his prophecy anyway. And then he calls them to repent. This is so key. Verses 19 and 22 through 22, just like in his very first sermon, Peter calls the people to repent, to make that pivotal pivot in their life. Repent and turn around in their thinking and in their actions to turn to God and become right with him. Pastor Chris said it last week, repentance is making a 180. That doesn't mean you'll never sin again, but it means you are intentionally turning your mind and your will and your affection to Jesus. It's not a one-time act. At least it hasn't been for me. It's a lifestyle, daily turning to Jesus, turning our face to Jesus and turning our back on the ways of this world. And when we repent, church, two things happen. First, our sins are wiped out. Ancient writing was done on papyrus, 
and the ink that they used had no acid in it. So it would not sink into, it wouldn't bite into the paper. So it was really easy to cover up your mistakes. You didn't have to have a little whiteout strip. You could just with a moist sponge, just wipe it and keep going. Similarly, Jesus shed his blood and used it to wipe away our sins. Every sin you've ever committed and the ones you haven't even yet committed. And if we repent and trust in Jesus, he forgives us completely, wipes away our sins. The second thing that happens when we repent is times of refreshing come from the Lord. Man, what do you need? It's not really a what, it's a who. It's Jesus. If you feel dry, if you feel distant, if you need refreshment, long-lasting rest and renewal, Jesus is the only one that has it. And he wants to renew your soul. He wants to deal with those parts of your soul that are anxious, that are worried and stressed about money or relationships or time or whatever it is. He wants to deal with those hidden parts that are afraid. He wants to refresh you. Greek for refreshing, we find relaxation and relief. Repentance leads to refreshing, relaxation, and relief. Raise your hand if you've ever repented and then experienced the refreshing and relief that follows. It's pretty powerful. Like this crowd in Solomon's colonnade, like this crippled man, we too need God desperately. We too need to repent. And when we do, we're forgiven, we're cleansed, and we can find refreshment and restoration. Finally, in verses 23 through 26, after Peter gives hope and points to the solution, Jesus, he finishes with a strong warning. He says, anyone who does not listen to that final prophet, it's Jesus, it's capital P in your Bible. Anyone who does not listen to Jesus will be completely cut off from among the people. Peter promises that Jesus is going to come back and restore everything. That's what Abraham and Moses and Samuel and all the other prophets believed and taught. Through the Messiah, through Jesus, all peoples of the earth will be blessed. Jesus is going to come back, church, and restore the world to the perfect paradise that we lost in Eden. Only it's going to be even better. There's going to be perfect peace and harmony and no more crying, no more pain, no more unmet needs. Jesus will supply all of your needs forever and ever. So now we're presented with a choice. We can either believe in Jesus, God's servant, and receive blessing, or we can reject him and be completely cut off. I love that Peter reminds us in at least two spots of Acts 3 that Jesus came as servant. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. That's another cue that we should take from the life and ministry of Jesus. Life comes down to a choice. You can choose to pursue your way and try to meet your own needs, or you can choose to be in relationship with God and let him take care of all your needs spiritual and material. And know this, God won't give you everything you think you want. He won't give you everything you ask for, but he'll give you everything you need because he gives you himself.
only Jesus can satisfy your true need. Like Peter and John, I don't have any silver or gold for you today, but I can offer you Jesus. Do you want him? Bow your heads. Dear Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Help us walk intently with you, intently after you, with eager and sincere conviction and anticipation of what you can do, what you want to do in and through us. Remind us daily of the power in your name, Jesus. Holy Spirit, remind us to use that power daily. And we ask that you would lead us to repentance. Anyone here that has drifted from you, draw them back today. Perhaps you are here today and you have never called upon the name of Jesus. You've never turned your back on sin and turned your face to Jesus. I want to give you that opportunity. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if we would confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him to life, that we would be saved. With heads bowed, eyes closed, and Christians quietly agreeing in prayer, if you want to accept Jesus as your personal Savior today, you want to turn your back on sin and everything else that you've tried, and you want to turn to Jesus, I want you to raise your hand. Praise God. I see a couple hands. I see at least three hands. Praise God. You can put those hands back down. I want to invite you to stand and let's remain in this attitude of worship. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray a prayer that we can hear with our own ears. Because if Jesus could hang openly and publicly on a cross for the sins of all humanity, then it's not too much to ask for us to confess out loud that he is Lord, that he's alive. Amen? Whether you've prayed this numerous times or those three of you that raised your hand today may be praying this for the first time. Pray this out loud so you can hear it and believe it with all of your heart. Say, dear Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner, but that you love me. I recognize that you are the son of God, that you are alive and want to live in me. I invite you to live in me now. Make me more like you. Cleanse me. All that I am or ever hope to be, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me, for changing me. I'm going to live my life knowing you and making you known. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.